Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 6. We're continuing to press through the Gospel record of Luke, examining the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, His earthly ministry and His earthly walk. And as we had left off last week, we had saw Jesus Christ separate Himself and go to a private place and pray all night. The decision that he had to make was he was going to pull aside 12 of the disciples and pull them to be specially trained to be his apostles. And now as we continue with Luke chapter 6, right after calling these 12 men unto him that he may train them and give them some intense training, we could see that he's using a teaching moment and he's going to spend the rest of the chapter teaching the disciples several important principles for them to apply in their life. And if you don't mind, I'd like us to look together in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 6. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 6. And let's begin together starting at verse number 17. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 6 starting at verse number 17. Notice with me as it says, And he came down with them, and stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the, multitude, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, 
Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again." And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. But if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. If you lend to the, of them that ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be as the children of the highest. For he is kind even unto the unthankful and to the evil." Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with that same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thy Thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of the thorns of men do not gather figs, nor the bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man that buildeth a house and diggeth deep and lay the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth it not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house 
was great. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you make a, mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 6? The gospel record of Luke chapter number 6, and notice with me in verse number 40. The gospel record of Luke chapter 6 and verse number 40, the disciple is not above his master. The disciple is not above his master. And with the Lord's help, we want to examine what Jesus Christ is teaching to his disciples as he begins their first training lesson as they're following after him. And this whole message could be summarized. The disciple is not above his master master. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and mercy. And as we as followers of you, as Christians, as people who have come to church on a Wednesday night, I believe that we have a desire to be a follower of you. Help us now as you explain to your disciples and explain to us what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of you that we could go with it with eyes open, that we could be very discerning and see what does it mean and that we can apply this to our own life so we could be better followers of you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach this passage here, there's quite a bit that he wraps up. As he begins to teach his disciples. Now remember he's already prayed. And as he prayed all night. Now he's made the decision. Out of all the multitude of the people who had been following after Christ. He chose 12 of them for specific training. And now as they are already beginning to watch him work. And by the way Jesus was quite often busy. In fact in verse number 17. We begin to see as he begins to be busy. And he Jesus came down with them. The disciples. And stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples. And the great, a great multitude of people. Came out of all Judea. And Jerusalem. And from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. Which to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Now, Jesus here comes down after pulling the disciples and stands in the plain and everybody just flocked to him. They've all heard about Jesus and they have come from the country. They've come from the city. They've come from neighboring countries and countries even beyond those neighboring countries. And they've all come. And people have come that were with devils. He, they came to be healed. Everyone who was sick wanted to touch him. Now think about this. In America, we have personal space. We like to have people have a distance away. It says here they all came to touch him. And guess who's all surrounding him? The disciples. So as everyone's trying to get to Jesus, guess who else's personal space is starting to get invaded? You know, sometimes being a disciple of Christ means we have to be in uncomfortable spots. In fact, there is no easy way to serve the Lord. You can expect that you're going to be in uncomfortable spots. You can expect that your comfort zone is going to be squished, destroyed, stretched in every other way. That's just part of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And they're getting experience with it. I mean, this is the first day on the job. All right, I get to be a disciple of Christ. That sounds great in name. And then they get to work. And now it's all hard. 
and uncomfortable. And everybody's pressing on him. And Jesus took time to heal every single one of them. And now as he's got them on their first day in the job, and after they've had a busy day, then he takes time to teach them. So now that you got to see what it's like to be a follower of me and how busy we're going to be and how everybody squishes, now let me teach you some things. And as he teaches this, we now come to verse 40. We're going to explore all of this. But the heart of the message is in verse number 40. In this teaching moment, he teaches them that the disciple is not above his master. What does that mean? It means that the followers of Christ are not better than Christ. They do not deserve better or should expect better treatment than their master. Now pause. So Jesus has just finished a long day where everybody is trying to touch him. Everybody wants something from him. His personal space is violated and their personal space is violated. Then he turns around and says, guess what? You're not better than me. So you should not expect better than me. Well, that gets rid of a lot of people right away because people want comfort. They don't want to be discomforted. They want to serve God as long as it's convenient to them. And Jesus says, you're not better than me. Why should you expect something that I don't have? Why should you expect a better life? Why should you expect better treatment? Now let's pause. How was Jesus treated? Was it Everywhere he went, he was the star that everyone wanted to say how great he was. Now they had people plotting his death, currently present tense, as he's healing everyone. The disciple is not better than the master. Do you think there's sometimes that people may hate us? Well, as long as people don't like me, I don't want to serve God. Well, you're not going to serve God long. Well, I just don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be inconvenienced. Well, then you're not going to be able to serve God. You should not expect better treatment than your master. This is why the study of the Lord Jesus Christ is an important study because we can know what we should expect. Notice again as it finishes up in verse 40, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Now this is the other part of it that you shouldn't expect to be better than your master but when you're all said and done if you are following your teacher the way that you should then you're going to be just like your teacher. That's the idea of being perfect, to be whole, to be complete. That if you are following someone who is a teacher, they're the teacher, they're the master, that when you're done you should be just like them. By the way, that's called the law of biogenesis, that we don't reproduce necessarily what we want. We reproduce what we are. This is what Jesus Christ is saying here, that if the student is going to be perfect and be the student that they ought to be, when they are finished training, they're going to be just like their master. Now, that's true of any profession. That is true of any study. That is true of any influence. Jesus' disciples were expected to be Christ-like when they're done. And that's still true, that a follower of Christ should be Christ-like. Well, in the context where Jesus is starting off, he's talking about the Pharisees. Well, a follower of a Pharisee is going to be just like a Pharisee. Does that make sense? 
This is the idea of the influence of a teacher and the great influence that a teacher has. But this is to be expected. That if you are following after someone, if you are the student you ought to be, you're going to act just like them. You're going to think just like them. You're going to behave just like them. That's why you need to pick your field of study very cautiously because you're going to see the end result. Now, with this in mind, as Jesus is teaching all the way through here, this twofold principle that you should not expect to be better than your master, to be treated different than your master, that the servant, the, the disciple is not above his master. And if you are perfect, that means you've completed your study, you've done your study as you ought, you're going to end up being just like your master. With that in mind, let's see what is going to be expected from the disciples as Jesus now is taking time to teach these disciples what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. If you don't mind as we examine this, the first thing here is that the disciples of Christ are blessed. The disciples of Christ are blessed. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 20. And he, that's Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, now remember, we're now seeing context. Who is speaking? Jesus. Who's he speaking to? His disciples. He's not necessarily speaking to the crowd and he's not speaking to the Pharisees. He's addressing this to his disciples with the expectation that he is teaching them more about being a disciple. Now, in this passage from verse 20 to 26, it's going to be excuse me, very similar to uh, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Now it's similar, but it is not the same. There's enough differences and we have a difference in location that we believe that this is a totally different message. However, with Jesus preaching three and a half years, there's a lot of times that he'll repeat himself and this is one of them where he's repeating some of the things that he's already taught. Notice if you don't mind as we examine here and see what this says, starting at verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed. Verse 21, blessed. Middle verse 21, blessed. Verse 22, blessed. We see this word blessed over and over. What does blessed mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, some people put just a cheap definition of happy and they, there's something about the way that we think today is we like synonyms. Well, the word blessed goes way beyond happy. The word blessed carries the idea of having the favor of God, which in turn makes me happy. Having the favor of God, which in turn makes me happy. You see, it's a lot more than just being happy. It's recognizing I have the favor of God and I'm responding to the favor of God in my life. I'm blessed. That's a great word, right? We love that word around here. I'm blessed. I have the favor of God and I'm responding to it. It makes me happy. Now notice this. He says in verse 20, Blessed be ye poor. Now he's speaking to the disciples. Blessed be ye poor. Guess what guys, you're poor. And we know that. In this church, we don't have, uh, we don't have millionaires and we don't even have thousandaires. But he's going beyond here. Blessed be ye the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, why can someone say, I'm blessed because I'm poor? Well, there's something to it. The poor tend to be more open to the gospel. 
the Bible speaks about this and other passages, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to accept Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about that when people are rich, they don't have need. They're used to solving their own problems. They don't need the Lord. When someone recognizes that I don't have the ability, I don't have the funds, I don't have the capability, I cannot solve my own problems, then I'm more willing to trust what God can do for me. And he says, because of that, when you recognize that you're poor and you need the Lord, you're blessed. You have the favor of God, which in turn... You respond and become happy. Blessed be the poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. He says, I've got better things planned for you than what you have here. And I'm able to provide it. Notice this. Blessed are ye. Now again, he's talking to the disciples. Are ye that hunger now. For ye shall be filled. Blessed be the hungry. A hungry person, once again, recognizes their need of God. I can't solve it myself. I need Him. Those who are filled become satisfied. And the Bible gives warning after warning after warning to be careful that when we're satisfied to have our needs met because we often feel like I don't need the Lord anymore. Notice as it goes on. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Now, here it's talking about that we understand we need the Lord. We should be content and there should be things that we're looking to the Lord. and We should have a peace that passes all understanding. But there's an understanding that if you are just looking, your goal in life is to be at peace. Your goal in life is to smile and laugh and never to have bad days. You're not going to make, be a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everyone that follows after Christ is going to be criticized. If you, if you don't want to be criticized, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. But as long as you follow after God, you will be criticized. You will have rough days. That is part of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, as long as they're kicking you in the rear, you know you have the lead. You're not going to be able to have a life of following after Christ. That is easy. Notice as it goes on. Verse number 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Now notice there's a qualifier there. It's not just because you're a jerk and people can't stand you. It's because you try to follow after the Lord and they separate you. By the way, people who choose to try to follow after the Lord, the, Lord, the world can't stand it. And they don't want to be around it. And they'll try to do everything they can to get you away from them. So they no longer feel convicted. Notice what it says in verse 23. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. I'm sure that your first instinct as soon as someone says you're one of those people. That your first instinct isn't to jump for joy and say oh this is going to be wonderful. I'm sure that when people say, listen here. You, as long as you work here, you better not say anything about being a Christian. Uh, that's your first response is not going to, woohoo, this is going to be great. But notice this, what God says, verse 23. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Hey, you go look in the Old Testament and you go see how they responded to the prophets. Well, then you're in good company. 
Remember Isaiah, the great prophet, wrote this wonderful book prophesying about Jesus Christ? What did they do to Isaiah? Did he die in retirement? Nope, they had wicked King Manasseh who put him in a hollowed out tree log and cut the log with him in it and killed him, cutting him asunder. That's Isaiah. Look and see which one of the prophets that had an easy time. Here's Elijah who Jezebel put a hit notice on him and said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Run. You know that <laughs> we're in good company if they hate us. <laughs> Our goal is not to be hated, by the way. It's a byproduct of following after God. But we understand that if we're living the way that we ought to, the world will feel uncomfortable. And God says, don't worry about it. I'll make it up to you later on in the millennial kingdom. Your reward will be great. You need to rejoice. Our reward is not down here. This world is not going to last forever. And we're only going to be here for a small amount of time. 1,000 years in the millennial kingdom and forever in heaven. That's a long time. That's what we should be looking for. Our rewards are somewhere else beyond here. Notice as it goes on, as it now does the uh, reverse of this, 24. But woe, remember the word woe is a hard curse. But cursed, woe unto you that are rich, for you've received your consolation. If your goal is to have money, guess what? That's, that's what you're going to get. That's your reward. That's what your goal was. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. That means there are going to be things that you're going to desire that you're not going to have. Let me pause here. Most people are ignorant of how important the millennial kingdom is. There's going to be Christian after Christian after Christian who did nothing in this world that they're going to go before God and they're going to be judged not for their, their salvation, but they're going to be judged what they did for the Lord and they're going to find that they did nothing. And for a thousand years, they're going to wish they did something for the Lord because they're going to realize they don't have all of this. And they're going to be set aside for service. And that even, I'm trying not to go in the millennial kingdom thing, but you understand this is a big deal. That even our bodies, our brand new bodies, according to what the Bible says inside of the book of Daniel, inside of the book of 1 Corinthians 15, that even our bodies are going to glow compared to what we did on this earth and that people are going to be able to spot us and say, that's someone who served God on earth. That's someone who did nothing for God when they had a chance. And the people are going to wish that they did something more than be comfortable during this time. People do not realize what a big deal this is. Notice as it goes on. Verse 25. Woe unto you that are full and shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now. Ye shall mourn and weep. And the Bible speaks about that there will be great weeping and mourning by Christians. They're in the millennial kingdom. They're not in hell. They're in the millennial kingdom. But they're going to mourn and weep because they realize they should have done more. They could have done more. And now they're going to be not going to have the good jobs and they're not going to have what God has promised them or all the wonderful things they could have had. And they're going to wish they had it then because they'd rather have a comfortable life here than willing to use it for the Lord. Notice as it goes on, verse 27. Um, 
26 rather. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. If everybody likes you, there's something wrong. Just mark it down. If everybody likes you, then there's something wrong. Now, I understand it's in all of us. We all want to be like. None of us say, you know what? My goal is to be hated today. But if you are well liked by everyone, if the worst sinners in town likes you, if the worst crookedest politicians like you, there's something wrong. And it says... Remember the fathers, they love the false prophets. And you go look at the false prophets and see how they're treated by the kings and by the nobility. They love the false prophets. They, they told them what they wanted to hear. That's not good company. And so we could see that the disciples of Christ, first of all, they are blessed. As we go on, Jesus is still teaching the disciples. We could see that the disciples of Christ love their enemies. The disciples of Christ love their enemies enemies. Now, as we approach this passage, it's going to give a summary of this. That lost people love people who love them. Even the lost people love that. Why do I like that guy? Because he treats me nice. We all have that. But there's something different when someone treats us horribly and then we still try to be a blessing to them. That's a different response. Our normal response, our default response is revenge. Let me prove it to you. Someone cut you off on the road lately? Was your first response, oh, bless their heart. I hope they have a wonderful day. I hope they get to where they, they're going safely. That's not our normal response. Our normal response is, I'm going to show them. I, I'm, you almost dream and have in your mind that you're going to catch them in the ditch later on. A police officer pulled them over and you're like, ha, ha, ha. That's our normal response. And that's just for someone who just doesn't even know us and cut us off in traffic. What if someone actually purposely is mean to us? Notice this. There's a different response to this. Verse number 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Now that's hard to try to be a blessing, to try to be an encouragement to someone who hates you. Verse number 28. Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitely use you. Now, verse 28 doesn't say, all right, I'll pray for them. God, you get them. <laughs> this idea of praying for them is that you're praying that they get saved. You're praying that God will bring them to himself. You're praying that God would be a blessing to them. Not asking for revenge or God, you show them. Notice in 29. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other. That's not a normal response. If someone punches you in the face, you want to get back at him. But it says to turn the other cheek, to give him the other one. And he that taketh away your cloak, forbid him not to take the other cloak. No. So when somebody comes and robs you, hey, what else? Can I help you carry something else out? That's not a normal response. Verse 30, give unto every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should also do to you, do also to them likewise. Of course, this is a semblance of the golden rule that's set in the gospel record of Matthew. That we're supposed to treat others as we want people to treat us. Even how do we want people to treat us if we do someone wrong to them? Do we want them to want revenge on us? If we do something wrong, we want people to show us grace and mercy. 
And we should show grace and mercy to them when they do wrong. Verse 32. For if you love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love them that love them. You know, if someone's nice to me and gives me a check for $1,000, they're my friend at that moment, right? Now, if I'm not saved and someone gives me a check for $1,000, that guy's my friend for the moment, right? Because he was a blessing. He did something great to me. I'm not going to say anything bad to him at that moment. I mean, anyone has enough sense to be nice to the person who was nice to them. Verse 33, And if you do good to them that do good to you, what thing have you? For sinners also do the same. This is just a common thing. If someone's nice to us, we're usually nice to them. And if you lend them of whom you hope to receive, what thing have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. This is called a bank. Do you think a bank gives us money and says, you know what? Uh, I hope that you do something good and if you lose it, you know, no big deal. Why do they give us money? Because they want to get it back. That's their whole purpose. How many times do Christians want to lend money and then have a form signed in triplicate and make sure... And make sure everything's paid off. And... But notice what it says. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good. And lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Now there's a lot to this. It says here that we're supposed to do good to those. <laughs> that even if they don't treat us good. And if somebody needs some money, that we're going to try to be a blessing to them if we're able and not worry about it. If they pay us back, great. If not, no big deal. We'll just give it up to the Lord. Now that's hard, especially when it concerns the money. Notice as it goes on, it says, comparing to God, for he, God, is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. How many times have you been wrong to God before you were saved and after you were saved that you said God leave me alone and God says, still said I love you how many times you said I don't care what you say I'm not going to obey I'm going to do my own thing and God says I still love you God is our example here most of us are lucky to be alive and don't have lightning striking us down because of God's graciousness when if it was us on the other side of the lightning bolt, we would have struck lots of people down. How many of you know someone who's alive because you can't throw lightning? Right? We all do. God is a lot better than us and he's our example. Verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful as your father is merciful. How many times do we just need to be taken out of this world and God did not? And he showed us mercy. That's the example he gave us. And we need to be merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. Because you sure didn't and I sure didn't. And he offered us mercy anyways. Verse 37. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Now... People get confused with this judge not. There's a different passage where it tells us to judge. And that carries the idea that we're supposed to carry discernment. We're supposed to be able to look at people's lives and discern where they're at so we could learn a lesson not to follow. Okay, But in this case, it carries the idea of judging them and thinking that we're better than them. <laughs> they deserve that. 
Well, guess what? You'll get something that you deserve. That's what God is saying here, that we need to behave and respond properly no matter how bad they are. You know, it's amazing when some person who hates God die, it's almost like people are glad they're in hell. We should never be glad that someone goes to hell. We should never rejoice in the passing of an unsaved person. It doesn't matter how awful of a person they are. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with their politics. How many people currently may not like the president? Have you prayed for him? Have you prayed for him to get saved? Have you prayed that he has wisdom? Most people enjoy criticizing because it's a lot easier than praying for them. Have you ever thought about writing a personal note to them and say, I want to tell you about the grace that God gave me and I want to tell you about it. That's what God would have us to do is to show them grace and not just find ways to criticize and destroy them and to make others come to see them the same way we do. We should be different in our response. The disciples of Christ love their enemies. As we're going on, Jesus is taking time to teach his disciples and he is teaching them bit by bit. He says the disciples of Christ are blessed. The disciples of Christ love their enemies. The disciples of Christ give. The disciples of Christ give. Verse number 30, if you do not have marked, star, underline, bold, caption, highlight, do something. This is an important verse. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, here's this principle. That when we give for the Lord's sake, He returns back to us. And imagine, if you don't mind, uh, a cup of flour. So, with this cup of flour, flour could be fluffy and take up a lot of room. But, you know, you could sieve that down and shake it. And it settles down a little bit more. And it says, then you could press it down. So a good measure of it, shaking it up, press it down, shake it some more, press it down, and then cause it to run over. That's what God does. Here's a principle. You can never outgive the Lord. Amen. Never outgive the Lord. We have a lady in our church who has a testimony that as she gives and she gives extra, that God gives her a raise to cover it. And then she gives some more and God gives her a raise to cover it. God's so good at doing stuff like that. You can never outgive God. He is a debtor to no man. I used to have a pastor friend that says, don't tithe on the income you have. Tithe on the income you want to have. You can never outgive the Lord. Never. He is always faithful. Now, this does not, does not say that if you put a dollar in the offering plate that you're going to get $10 back. It's not what it says. We don't believe in a prosperity doctrine. But you know, the Bible says that there are other ways that God can supply. Amen. Think about the children of Israel. God said that their shoes never worn out. 40 years of traveling in the wilderness and there was no Walmart. And their shoes never worn out. Their clothes didn't wear out. I have teenagers. I'm always buying them stuff. I mean, they're like the Incredible Hulk. I look and their feet are hanging out of the shoes that I bought from last week. I mean, they're just... Wouldn't it be a blessing to let God supply and let things last long? He can let your gas in your car last longer. That's important nowadays. God's able to do it different ways. He will bless. 
And it may not be in ways that you understand, but there's not a principle that you put a dollar in, God gives you $10 back. But he does promise he's a debtor to no man. In fact, notice what it says specifically. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men, men give unto your bosom. You know, there are some times that people say, well, I'm waiting for God to supply. And then someone says, hey, can I buy you some tires? Nope, I'm waiting for God to supply. God uses human instrumentality. Amen. He uses others. Now let me give you a hint and a warning. If somebody offers to be nice to you, don't refuse them because it could be God trying to answer your prayer, try to be a blessing. And if you tell God no, he said, all right, fine, I try to be a blessing if you don't want it. I don't want to get to the place where God stops. Amen. That also means we need to learn to be graciousness and allow God to take care of us. Cheap uh, thing, but you know what? When you go to a restaurant and the bill comes up and everybody fist fights for that bill, you know what causes that? Pride. Nothing godly about it, it's pride. Hi, I want to be. If somebody offered, now I'm not saying to be a moochinary. I know there's too many of those people that, I know some people who the last 40 years have never paid for a single meal, but they take people out all the time. Don't, don't do that. But I am saying that if God says, if somebody comes up and says, hey, can I buy you a new pair of shoes? Well, thank you. That'd be a blessing. God is able to use other people to help supply for you. It's our pride that gets involved. No, 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 no. God uses other men, other people to help supply. God doesn't rain down money from heaven, but he uses human instrumentality to do his work and to do his service. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shall men give to your bosom for the same measure that you meet out with all, it shall be measured to you again. Meaning that if you give stingily, God will supply for you stingily. If you give cheerfully, God will give to you cheerfully. The same measure, equivalent, proportionate. If you give generos generously, liberally, then God will take care of you liberally. God knows how to take care of you. He's a debtor to no man. That's a good promise to keep and to have down. You can never outgive the Lord. As we go on, we see something else. The disciples of Christ understand there are some things we can't see in ourselves that others see clearly. The disciples of Christ understand there are things we can't see in ourselves, but others can see clearly. Notice with me in verse 39. And he spake a parable unto them. Notice these pronouns. He is Jesus and a parable unto them. He's still talking to the disciples. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into a ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Here's this principle that we had covered before, that a disciple who's following the Lord will be just like his master. That's the principle. And that he's not better than his master. He is going to be just like his master if everything goes well and perfectly. Verse 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye? So here's the idea. That we look and we want to look at our brother. Ha <laughs> ha, you got that splinter in your eye. and You don't even see it. Meanwhile, we've got a two by four hanging out of ours. There's a principle here that, again, if you're writing notes and you should write notes, here's something to write down. A principle that you need to know for life. 
There are things that we cannot see in ourselves, but others can see clearly in our life. Every single one of us have blind spots. In fact, all of us have assets and liabilities. The goal is to try to make our assets outweigh our liabilities. But every single one of us have assets and every single one of us have liabilities. Every single one of us have something we cannot see in ourselves, but everyone else can see clearly. This is why you need people who love you, that you surround yourself with, who will tell you the truth, who will not be afraid to tell you something. Now, you need to be someone who receives it. If you're someone who's going to get mad at someone because there's spinach in your teeth and you freak out and blow up on them, then you're not going to get help. And you're going to remain to be blind on things that everybody else can see clearly on you. But here's the principle. Every one of us have blind spots. Whether it's a small blind spot like a little splinter or it's a two by four. Say, how in the world can you miss it? People are blind on certain things in their life. That's one of the wonderful things about the Bible is it's a mirror. It lets us see, oh, where'd this kind come from? This is why God gives us a pastor who preaches the Bible. That as we preach the Bible, God, Holy Spirit says, hey, there's the mirror. You see the things? Or you have someone who loves you, someone who's discipling you, someone who's a teacher, someone who comes beside you and say, let me tell you, there are some things that you may not see in your life that you need to take care of. Praise the Lord for people who love us enough to tell us that we have something wrong. In fact, if you could forgive the personal illustration, I was just with a pastor the other day and after we were finished uh, door knocking, he pulled me aside and said, you know what? Um, <laughs> it's taken a lot of courage to say this, but here is something in your life that you may not see, but we're kind of concerned over. Praise the Lord. I said, thank you so much for caring enough to tell me. He says, man, this was easier than what I thought it was. That's what it should be. And I said, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my wife this and see what she says. And I told my wife, she goes, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? They love me enough to tell me the truth. We all have blind spots. Now, there's not a single one of you who are perfect out there. And every single one of us, one of us, have things we can't see in ourselves. Maybe it's pride. Maybe just pride is oozing out and we don't see it, but everyone else can smell the stench of pride. Maybe there's some disobedience in our life that we don't think that we're being disobedient on, but everyone else is like, you can't see this? Every single one of us have things a good disciple, because they want to be perfect, everyone that is perfect shall be his master. This is still covering that same context. That if we're going to be the followers of Christ that we ought to be, we also need people to show us and be willing to show us our blind spots so we could remove them. So therefore, we could go around and be a help to someone else. Notice the context again, verse 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Again, why would someone walk around with a beam in their eye? Because they don't see it. They don't see it. Either how can they say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat that's in thine own eye. Now, if you've got a two by four in your eye and they got a splinter, are they going to be very encouraged to allow you to point out their problems? No. Brother, let me pull out the moat that's in thy eye when thou beholdest thy self beholdest not. That means you don't see the beam that's in your own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam that is in thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that's in thy brother's eye. 
here the disciples of Christ understand that there are things in our life that we can't see in our own lives that others people can see clearly. And if we allow them, if we surround ourselves with people who care for us, they can help us get the thing out of our eye and we could turn around and be a blessing to someone else. Something else that we see here is the disciples of Christ understand to guard their heart. The disciples of Christ understand they need to guard their heart. Verse number 43. For a good tree bringeth forth or for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. We call this in science the law of biogenesis. This is a principle in science because God created this way. Banana trees are going to produce bananas. Orange trees are going to produce oranges. Cats are going to produce cats. Dogs are going to produce dogs. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So every tree is known by his own fruit. For the thorns men do not gather. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they of their grapes. A good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. Now again, there's a lot to it. Remember, as we've talked about in our teachers' workers' meeting, we don't reproduce necessarily what we want. We reproduce what we are. And so if someone isn't a follower of Christ, they're not going to reproduce followers of Christ. Someone who doesn't read their Bible is not going to reproduce someone who reads their Bible. Someone who's not a soul winner is not going to reproduce people who are soul winners. We reproduce what we are, not necessarily what we want. So this is important here. And then it goes on from out of the abundance of the heart, man speaketh. You allow person to speak enough and eventually what's important to them is going to come out. In fact, I love being silent. You know why? People can't stand silence. They have to feel the silence with talking. And the longer that I can be quiet, the more they're going to talk, the more I'm going to learn about them and their heart. People love to talk and they tell on themselves all the time. I'm just giving you a counseling trick. You learn quite a bit about people from out of the abundance of the heart. If someone has a pride problem, you let them talk long enough and it will come out. If someone has a problem with God, it doesn't matter what kind of face they show. You let them talk long enough, it'll expose themselves. Sometimes people like, hey, that person over there is just talking and talking and talking to the church folks. Are you going to go stop them? No, because our church folks are enough discernment now that the more they talk, the more they're going to expose themselves and not being spiritual. And those who are not discerning enough, they have other issues. We'll work with them later. <laughs> Someone who thinks themselves super spiritual, they'll talk enough, enough times they'll expose themselves. Does it make sense? Out of the abundance of the heart. Someone who loves the Lord, guess what they're going to end up talking about? The Lord. Someone who loves the Green Bay Packers, you give them enough time, they'll talk about the Packers. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You give them enough time, they'll speak to it. That's why we have to guard our hearts and make sure where our hearts are. If people love the Lord... They're going to talk about the Lord. If they don't like the Lord, it's going to end up being shown what they do love. 
You let someone talk enough and it will see them. This is why we have to guard our hearts because it's in the quiet time. I mean, anyone could get up and preach a message, teach a Sunday school class and sound super religious. I mean, you let some dead time happen, the lull in the conversation. In fact, you know what most of us default to? Complaining. Complaining. It just exposes our hearts. Notice, if you don't mind, as we go on, one last thing. The disciples of Christ build their foundation on a solid rock. The disciples of Christ build their foundation on the solid rock. Verse number 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things that I say. The Lord idea is the master. Now, repeat, or you guys can finish this. Jesus said, if you love me... Very good. If you love me, keep my commandments. I can't tell you how many times a pastor will call and complain about the church folk. Well, they don't want to go soul winning. They don't want to read their Bible. Oh, but they love the Lord. And I'll say, no, they don't. What? If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus makes it simple. We make things complicated. If somebody says, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to obey. They don't love the Lord. And neither can they call Jesus their master. If Jesus is their master and we're the servants, then we need to do what he tells us to do. If we fight against our master, <laughs> then there's something wrong. We don't love and honor our master. Verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. Notice it's not just hearing. If all you do is hear this message and then walk away and do nothing with it, you're wrong. This is why you need to take notes. You need to expect God to speak to you and be prepared to respond. What has God given you to do? Why, whosoever cometh to me and hearing my sayings and doeth them, I will show you who he be like. He'll be like a man who's built on a house and dig deep and laid the foundation of the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, it was founded upon the rock. Now, by the way, he's speaking to his disciples and we're going to see what's going to happen when the pressure turns on. Later on, the pressure is going to go to the disciples. And we're going to see how well they obeyed. You know what happened to a lot of the disciples? When Jesus was arrested, they all ran. Later on, the disciples, by the way, it marks their disobedience. And so we could see this. Later on, the disciples... When Jesus arose from the grave, they should have been celebrating, but instead they're all sad and mopey and pouty because they weren't obedient. They didn't build on a solid rock. What happened? Seven of them quit the ministry and went back to their fishing business and dragged everyone else with them. Why? Pressure went on. They had disobedience in their life. The disciples were not examples of obedience a lot of the times. And you could watch that all throughout there. But there was one in particular. Notice if you don't mind verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth it not. Now the disciples had some obedience in the life. So they didn't totally crash. But they could have built a better foundation. Correct? Verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth not. Is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth. And which stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. There was one disciple out of these 12 that Jesus is addressing that when it looks like 
they're going to murder Jesus and everyone hates him. And he realizes, you know what? I'm not going to be able to ride this too long and I need to get out of this before I sink down in the ship. That you had a man who went up to the Pharisees and said, let me help you. If you pay me, I'll help you out. And everything crashed and ruined for Judas Iscariot, who was one of these 12 that's being addressed here. He's being warned. And all the disciples, you need not only to hear, but you need to obey. These things that I'm giving to you is to help nail you down into a solid foundation. So that way when the storms come and the pressures hit, that you don't quit the ministry. You don't quit serving me. You don't quit and cry and go home. You don't sell out. But you're able to stay and weather the storm. As we understand about being a follower of Jesus Christ, it is about our response to Christ. Not only do we hear, but do we obey. The disciple is not above his master. Jesus had hard times. We're going to have hard times. We're not going to have an easy life because he didn't have an easy life. But... Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. When it's all said and done, the goal should be just like Christ. How do we become just like Christ? Learning to respond and obey what he's given us to do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.